Yeah, so uh, we continue on in our Advent journey. This is week two, so traditionally the weeks go in this order, hope, peace, joy, and then love. And so if you're wondering why we're going to go with the Prince of Peace today, it's because we're marrying up with the traditional order uh, through Advent. So today we are going to work through uh, what does it mean that Jesus is called, declared some seven, eight hundred years before his birth, not only Wonderful Counselor that we talked about last week, but now this week being the Prince of of peace. Um, as a reminder, Advent is a, long, is a time of longing. It is a time of waiting in the dark, of, of, of pleading with God for the Messiah to come. And we, we kind of re-enter into a dark and silent time in history in between the Old and New Testaments of 400 years of silence. There was, there was no prophetic word from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New until the cry of a baby. That was the first prophetic world, as if to say, this world is in disarray, and God the creator now becomes human, and the first thing that he does is burst forth in tears. And it's a great reminder that sometimes Advent feels that way for many of us, that if Thanksgiving didn't remind you of that, certainly Christmas probably will. It won't live up to the hype. It rarely does, but Jesus does. He always lives up to the hype, whether we realize it or not. It is a time, Advent specifically, um, and probably exponentially during a pandemic, is it a time where we are longing for God to make things right? We are longing for the Messiah to come and truly be Emmanuel, God with us. Do something amazing. Do something different. Don't be absent. Don't be distant. Don't be silent. Speak now, here, move. That's what we're asking for during the pandemic, right? And though we may act a little bit like it's just over with and we're behind it, no, we're still very much in the middle of something life-changing, life-altering. Our children still will remember the years of pandemic where we all had to wear a mask for far longer than we wanted to. Um, throughout these last months, I've asked many people, so how you doing with the pandemic? How you holding up? And usually the response is somewhere around this, I'm just ready to get back to normal. I'm just ready for something like some kind of normalcy to return into our lives. And I think this comes from a, uh, a, a deep desire uh, truly for something controllable, something predictable. And, and I would say like this is where we are truly even now, right? Um, we, and we don't want any normal to return, do we not? I don't know about you, but like um, I don't want all the normal things to return. We want all the best parts of what normal was without all the bad parts. We want to be selective. And here's what I mean by that. You want the predictability of a paycheck without the commute. Yes? Yeah. So that's one thing that you want. You're like, I mean, I could do the, the, you know, the virtual work as long as I don't have to go back into town. We want the predictability of a paycheck without the commute. We want the ability to have community. Oh, man, we want to just come together. We don't have the conflict. Let's just continue to rejoice. We want to calendar out things, but I'm going to tell you right now, as a dad of three people, three humans that are continuing to grow, I want, the, I want to be able to have, like, to calendar things out, but I don't want my calendar to be filled with four or five days a week of sports. I love sports, but I don't want that. I know it's coming. Uh, we want our children to be able to play on the playground and with one another without being concerned with who has corona cooties. Like, these are things that we want. We want the best of what normal was. We don't just want any normal. We want only the best. Our desire for normal is a longing for the Messiah to come and make things right. 
That's what this is all about, right? It is a promise to do what he said he would do. That's what we're longing for during this time is just do what you said you would do. Would you counsel us with wonderful counsel? Would you, would you show uh, amongst us your care like a father who will never go away? in the best possible way. He will always be there for you, an everlasting Father. Will you exhibit strength in the midst of chaos like a mighty God would? And today, we're longing for him to establish peace in the midst of a whole lot of crazy and reign truly in peace. These are our longings during Advent, but I want to flip it today. I want to flip where we are, and I want to invite you to think about, yes, those are our longings. We could probably point to a thousand more, what do you think God's longing for? Have you thought about that in a while? What do you think God is longing for in this world? Is it not something very similar to ours? A longing for normal to return? But then we have to understand what is his normal? What was his like perfect place that he created? It's the garden. That's what he's been longing for for 10,000 years or more. We've been longing for normal to return for 10 months. He's been longing for normal to return for a whole lot longer. He wants what he originally intended to take root again in this world. It's what Jesus truly invites us to pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's been longing for us to get back to his normal for a lot longer than we've been longing to get back to our normal. It's his longing for a fallen and broken world. It is what God is longing for, this garden, this Edenic state to be restored to the earth. Because why? It was there that peace between man and woman and creation and God absolutely reigned on the earth. We don't know how long it was for Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to take place, but we do know that that's where it ended. And in the course of history, that's Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Revelation, where we find fallenness and brokenness and difficulty and disease and pandemic. But it was there in the garden that lions didn't eat gazelles. Did you know that? They didn't eat zebras because there was no such thing as death or violence that didn't happen in the garden. No, God provided for them in different ways. There were no, no earthquakes. There were no hurricanes. There were no pandemics. There were no viruses. There were no sicknesses at all. No, everything worked together in perfect harmony, in perfect peace. And God called it very good. But we don't live in that world, do we? I don't know if you, if you do this, but um, I'm an Apple News guy because it's very convenient. Like, I got off Facebook long ago. And so if you just go to Apple News, this is the world we're in. If you want to know what Genesis 3 fallen world looks like and how sin has affected every avenue of the planet, I'm not playing. Like, this is just the top page of Apple News. Let's just read it. One million new coronavirus cases have been added to the U.S. total in only five days. The next story, I'm not, I'm not selecting. Trump continues attacks on election results in Georgia, at, at Georgia's Senate runoff rally. So he's attacking. You see the language? You're going to have peace in this world. Something got to happen. So number one, coronavirus in five days. Trump attacking. The next one, the NFL's pandemic season has given rise to the new position, the quarantine quarterback. The housing market is, is booming, but millions face eviction. 
Do you see this? Is, you, can't, you ain't getting peace in this world if you live by this gospel. Because this ain't good news. This is news, but it's not good news. Only God came for the very specific reason to be the prince of peace. And we're going to unpack that as we go through this today. This is at the very heart of Isaiah 9, 6. And at the very heart of every chapter since Genesis 3, God wants to restore his normal on the earth. His place of perfect harmony, of perfect peace, which is the Garden of Eden. And that's what we see in Genesis, or excuse me, in Revelation 21 and 22. We see this, this reversal of the curse. That for all time and all days, there will, it started in the garden, will end in the garden. When the garden truly gives life for everyone. If you read that, man, there's a beautiful picture of what God will one day establish. But we're somewhere in the in-between. And in the in-between, God continues to give us revelation. God continues to, to reveal to us through his scriptures that he is a God of peace. And he reigns from a throne of peace. If it's not Isaiah 9, 6, it's also Isaiah eleven six, 6, which says this. This is the picture that God's going to paint for the kingdom one day. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Do you see the restoration of Eden? The wolf will stay with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And guess what, y'all? There's a little child that's going to lead them. There's this beautiful picture of the impossible being accomplished, not by some mega military ruler or political ruler, but by a little baby, Emmanuel, God with us. This picture of what the Prince of Peace will truly establish for us, perfect peace, perfect shalom, which we will talk about in a minute, the restoration of everything as God originally intended. So I've said that phrase now a couple of times, and I want to tell you it's an intentional phrase, that that is what I believe shalom truly means. It, peace truly is what God intended. Peace is what God originally intended for the world. So when he says he's the prince of peace, he is the prince of what God originally intended. And I'm going to unpack that for us now. When we think of peace, we can think of many things like the absence of war. That's usually where we go. Um, or we can individualize it. If it's nationalistic, it's the absence of war. If we individualize it, we can talk about tranquility of mind. Right? We talk about peace of mind, of an emotional state that is as fleeting as uh, the smoke coming off my fire pit last night. Right? That's what we long for. That's what we hope for. But is that the thing that God truly came to give? See, those aren't bad things, but that's like coming to church to fix your marriage. Coming to church isn't going to fix your marriage. Matter of fact, it'll probably disrupt it in many ways. That's not a bad thing. It just misses the mark. We come to church to worship Jesus. How do you have a better marriage then? Become more like Jesus, and you will have a better marriage. Don't try and fix your marriage and then somehow fit Jesus in the middle of that. Won't work. Come, be more like Jesus, worship, for, worship him for who he truly is, and as two sinners ultimately go for the same goal of becoming more like Jesus, what happens? You get closer together. But if we try to establish like the absence of war or tranquility of mind, we're doing good things. It just misses the mark of something far greater of what God intended when he said he was going to establish peace on the earth. This idea of shalom has so many different translations in the Old Testament. It's like uh, trying to understand grace in the New Testament. There's not one or two words that will really des describe it properly. In the Old Testament, shalom, peace, 
is uh, truly, com- like, it's translated in all these ways. To be complete, to be whole, to have peace, prosperity, success, welfare, or even, as I, uh, um, as I consulted a rabbi this week about shalom, uh, he said it's the absence of sin. Wow. Man, that's a big statement. The prince of peace is going to steward in a place that is the absence of sin. And that's why we can say it truly is everything that God originally intended. Because in the garden, we did have the absence of sin. In the garden, it was complete and whole. Everything was there. It was the place of perfect harmony, the absence of sin, and its effects of cancer and national strife and, and, and relational conflict and violence. But all of these things point to the concise description of shalom or peace being what God originally intended. So when God promises peace, he promises to restore things the way that they were, the way that he intended in the garden. And we are certainly far from that state, as I said. In Genesis 3, what we would read there, if we read it, is that Adam and Eve uh, trust in the manipulative words of Satan instead of the strong and steady words of God. They somehow got bored with his strong and steady words of, hey, don't eat of that, of that tree. And instead, a newer version of the truth came in, one that made them doubt God's goodness. And his established word. And so what did they do? They rebelled against him. They trusted in Satan. And they lost confidence in God's steady word. And as a result, everything got messed up. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Your relationships are not what what they were once intended to be in the garden. You can have the greatest relationships on the earth. They are mired and, 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 and multiplied truly in sin. So what happened, right? Adam and Eve start playing the blame game like, oh, well, I'm really not to blame here. It's this woman that you put here. And then the woman gets questioned. It's like, well, I'm really not to blame. It's the serpent that you put here. And really what they're really doing is they're just passing off blame, not to one another, but to God. You put this woman here. You put this serpent here. It's your fault that all things didn't go according to your plan. That's what happens at the result of the fall. If it's not our relationships, it's our physical well-being because the curse of the fall was death. Sure and steady death. That's what will happen to all of us unless the Lord comes uh, sooner than our death date, whenever that is. I sat down with my dad for lunch um, for my birthday on Friday, and his opener was, I looked up my death date today. Awesome. Can't wait for whatever's next. And I was like, was it yesterday? He was actually, he goes, actually, it was in 1996. And I was like, oh, well, good thing you're taking that to heart. I don't know what to tell you. But nonetheless, we will all find our quote-unquote death date unless the Lord comes, right? That there's violence, there's cancer, there's disease, there's virus, there's pandemics that have ravaged humanity from Genesis 3 forward. Our relationships, our physical well-being, our responsibility. If you're frustrated at work, we can blame ourselves for that. For Adam and Eve, that was one of the curses of the fall, is that the earth will no longer produce fruit for you. It will produce thorns and thistles. It'll be frustrating work. It won't be efficient as you want it or as your boss wants it to be. Ain't ever going to happen. Not going to work. Instead, thorns and thistles. If that's not enough, parenting that you will have pains in childbirth. And I truly believe now as a parent of a tween that he didn't just mean childbirth, but all the way, all the way until you aren't a parent anymore, which is never, right? There's all, it's not just childbirth, it's all the time, right? And you see this in the Bible in Genesis 4, right after Genesis 3, what do we see? The first murder is between two brothers, 
Could you imagine what that was like for Adam and Eve? First of all, being born in the garden and then seeing all these promises. They mess up and it gets immediately passed down to the next generation. Immediately passed down to all of us some years later. Not just parenting, not just relationships, all these things. But the world itself, Paul describes in Romans 8 that the world is groaning. There's a groaning in the world for the sons of God to be revealed in the end time. So you want to know what earthquakes are about? It's groaning. You want to know what, 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 what floods and all that? That's just the earth groaning and longing for the prince of peace to come and establish shalom on the earth, that which God originally intended. It's everywhere. We cannot escape the effects of sin. That's why I'm just kind of sitting down in this reality right here. Not to bum us out, but to bring us into the, the scriptures, into the reality of what God is longing for truly during this Advent season. It is into this chaotic, rebellious, and sad space where God responds and sends his one and only son to fix everything that went wrong. And how does he describe him? But prince of peace. Well, it's no wonder. No wonder he's not the prince of power. No wonder he's not the prince of influence. No wonder he's not the prince of something else. No, the prince of peace has come not just to end war and not just to produce emotional tranquility. No, it includes those things, but far more than those things is shalom, the restoration of the way God intended things to be in absolutely every single way. Relationships, responsibilities, our physical well-being, emotional, again, and physical health, parenting, everything, all of creation now restored back into perfect harmony as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, reigns and rules over all the earth. It is there where the wolf will lay down with the lamb, where the lion will lay with the fattened calf, just as 11, uh, Isaiah 11 promises. So this peace is certainly as God what it intended all things to be, which means that for us, the Prince of Peace is more than we could have ever expected. I don't know about you, but last week I was super encouraged um, by Stephen's sermon on the Wonderful Counselor. I especially liked the beginning where he um, kind of differentiated what Wonderful Counselor um, was in the midst of Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That those are things that God is reigning and ruling over us. But Wonderful Counselor is this empathetic, um, sympathetic being in the midst of us, knowing exactly what we need to be able to give us good, wonderful counsel. I loved that. And at the same time, I go, Prince of Peace is different too. If you see all the rest of those three things in Isaiah 9, 6, what we find is that you have mighty God. There's an adjective to the noun. You have wonderful counselor. Um, I know that we're not, um, uh, I, I can't even say the word, is it grammarians? Grammaticians? I don't know. Well, we don't, we don't really study grammar. I don't even know the word. That's how bad we are at grammar. Um, I don't, we don't really study grammar a ton, um, but nonetheless, like, let's give a grammar lesson. I'm not talking about adjectives to a noun. I'm talking about two nouns is what happens with prince of peace. Not wonderful counselor, not mighty God, not everlasting father, but prince of peace. And what do we see in this grammar lesson in Isaiah 9-6? But this, this idea of two nouns together is like saying, like, it's a double emphasis on who God truly is. This noun describing another noun, this prince 
of peace. What does it mean and how can these things kind of come into focus for us? Number one, a prince, if you look up that word, um, it is one who is entrusted with something with full authority from the king. So it's one who, like if you were a king and, and, and you had a son, you would entrust your authority to the prince to go do something, to establish something in war or to establish a new uh, community mandate, and they would have the full authority of the king to be able to go do what the king is telling him to do. And so we think about the, the prince of peace, the one who has been given full authority by God the Father to come and establish shalom. And I just want to say like, this speaks to his authority and his ability. This baby will do these things. No one else has it. Now, this is where we just need to kind of be brought underneath the shepherd of Shalom here a little bit. You can run. We can run to a lot of things to establish peace. We can run to tons of things. But only Jesus of Nazareth has the, has the power, has the authority, and the ability to give you what God wants to give you. Not just temporary relief, but true rest for your souls. True peace, true shalom. Which again, if you think about peace, prince, or excuse me, prince, then all of a sudden it says now the prince of peace. So again, what is this peace? It's whatever you're looking for, again, just to be shepherded by the prince of peace here, whatever you're looking for to bring you peace, whether it's staying home during a pandemic or it's forcing your normal to arrive certainly uh, before it's safe in some ways and in some places, or binging on Netflix or that extra glass of wine or retail therapy or a little peek at what you shouldn't be looking at, whatever it is that we've been looking at, even good things like work, if we look to those things to establish peace in our hearts, we will be ultimately disappointed. Because Jesus is the only one that has the ability and the authority to establish shalom in our lives. He's the only one. So none of this will give you what only Jesus offers, the restoration of your soul to what God originally intended. It is perfect harmony with God. Perfect harmony with yourself, with your neighbors, with your spouse, with your children, and the created world around you. And you may be thinking right now, okay, well, I've tried Jesus, and it didn't work. Or I've, I've tried to put Jesus at the beginning of things, and it didn't fix my, my prodigal son or daughter. It didn't fix my marriage. It didn't bring back that steady paycheck that I've been praying for months for during this whole thing. I've tried Jesus, and he didn't establish any peace in me. Let me invite you a little deeper. For one, I, I understand. But let me invite you a little bit deeper because it may be that we've asked him to do some things that he didn't come to do. He didn't promise to give us all those things. He promised to establish shalom. Not to give us all those things exactly when we need it or when we say that we want it. No, what did he come to do? These are good questions, right? Jesus created a, a place of perfect peace in the garden. And when he created that perfect place, he created it from even the more perfect place, which is heaven. And he left that perfect place, and he came into the chaotic world that I just described, that God would send his one and only son into this crazy world of pandemics and, and all sorts of other things. 
of, of, of chaos and of rebellion, and he did so with a full heart, knowing exactly what he was getting into. God sent this Prince of Peace, the steward of Shalom, into a world given to chaos, given to rebellion, of pestilence, of pride, to seek and save that which was lost. And that's you, and that's me. He was born to die, sent to suffer, to become that which he created, a human and to become that which we could never be on our own. So what does it mean that the Prince of Peace is certainly more than we ever could have expected? He doesn't just come to steward shalom on the earth and to establish it. No, he, come to, he came to personify it. Ephesians 2, 14 says this, that he himself is our peace. He became that which we could not be, that perfect person, that person that God originally intended us to be. He became that person on the cross. He became that person when he came to earth and established peace for all those who would believe. In Luke 2.14, this is why the first thing that's said to the shepherds in the Christmas narrative of Luke 2.14, it says this. When, when God breaks through the darkness, when God breaks through the silence, through angels in a very dark night for these shepherds that are on the hill that probably needed a little bit of peace in their life after looking after their shepherds deep at night against wolves and everything else, this is what God breaks in on them with a blinding light that they say, do not fear, the angels say. And then they say these things. It says glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace. Shalom. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I am a recovering Catholic. I grew up Catholic, and I just get transported back to uh, wooden pews where I'm not allowed to put my butt on them if I'm kneeling on the kneeler, and I get a little, little pat like that, so I better lean up a little bit. I get into that world, and I smell the incense, and I hear the chorus, glory to God in the highest. Anybody else? Peace to his people on earth. Yes, that's where it comes from. It comes from the Bible, and I get transported back to there, but I want us to get transported back to that hill with the shepherds where God declares peace, shalom. The first thing that he declares when this baby will be here, God declares peace among those whom he is pleased. Why? If you've got your Bible, turn to this place in Colossians 1, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to go there because it's important for us to understand how is it that Jesus truly is our prince of peace, well, it's going to come up on, your script, on the screen, but just in case, if you want to get to know your Bible a little bit, this is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, and I'll end in Colossians as well, so stay, stay with me. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all the fullness of God's deity, power, authority, everything that God is was pleased, it was pleased to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. See, this just the gospel isn't just about us. As people, the gospel is about all things, all of creation being reconciled into this perfect, harmonious state as God intended it to be in the state of shalom. Right? He's reconciling himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making what? Making peace. And you, who once were alienated, were hostile, you see where we were? 
in your mind, you did evil deeds. Your behavior, only evil. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He came to die to establish peace for rebels. Whoever your worst enemy is, that's you before God. Whoever is most inconvenient to your life, who has, whoever has, has, has hurt you the most, disappointed you the most, that's you before a holy and beautifully good God. And so he says you're hostile in your mind. You are enemies. You are alienated far off from a good and gracious and holy God because we were evil in our behavior. And what did God do to establish peace? He sent the Prince of Peace, the babe, Jesus God with us, the perfect one, to die for rebels. Now, we hear this on a regular basis as Christians. But heaven help us if we just skip over it. Because I'll tell you, like, my big application today is remember. Remember and, and, and have a heart of gratitude for this truth in Colossians 1 that you were an enemy you were hostile. You were far off. You did all kinds of things to rebel against this God that wanted nothing more for this world than peace and shalom, and we messed it up. And then when we messed it up, we blamed him for putting us here. You gave me this life. You gave me this story. You gave me these wounds. How dare you? And God is coming to us as the Prince of Peace and saying, no, no, no. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it messed up. I came to establish that which was lost long ago. To bring you into a family, though you were once far off and orphaned. To bring you into the family where the everlasting Father will care for you for all of eternity. I know that your life has been chaotic, but the mighty God, the one who is strong and, str and certainly strong enough to fix it all in that moment or prevent it in that moment, didn't. And instead had the wisdom of a wonderful counselor to help us see then through trial and tribulation and tough circumstance and all sorts of chaos that we are enduring to see that God truly is the only one who can establish peace. Yes, after a broken childhood. Yes, after a crazy work life. Yes, after whatever it is. Fill in the blank. He's the only one. So all those things could have gone great. But if they didn't, the Prince of Peace has come to establish and to restore that which was lost to, to again Truly reign and steward and bring to the earth and into our hearts that which he originally intended. True peace that is only found in the God who would leave the perfect place to come to this place to bring sinful people to become perfect people in his sight. When he calls us holy, he's calling us perfect in so many different ways, though we are imperfect and in process. God has come to establish shalom, that which God originally tended into our hearts by giving his son to die on a cross. When you were at your worst, God was doing his best. That's the gospel again and again and again and again. So if you said, I mean, I've tried Jesus and it just didn't work for me. This isn't something that you try and it doesn't work. This is something that we believe Oh, we don't. And God has made his love for you obvious in sending his son to die for you, a sinner, a rebel, the hostile person, the evil person, the alienated person. If we can identify with that person in Colossians 1, we will never be able to worship Jesus for what he has done, ever. 
And so God's longing for us, if we want to ask that question, is for us to live in shalom. Is for us to live in peace. If Jesus is our peace and he, sent, he is sent as the prince of peace, given the authority to redeem that which was lost, to restore that which God had originally intended, how does God then long for us to rediscover this through this Advent season, especially during a pandemic? Number one, do you realize how special re- your relationship is with Jesus? If you are a believer, it is absolutely unique. Don't take it for granted that you are in a church. Don't take it for granted that you're in a church that preaches and teaches and tries to live out the gospel. Don't take it for granted that you know the good news. You could have been born in the bush of Africa or Afghanistan or wherever it may have been, and they would have never brought the gospel to you in your life. That could have been you if not for the grace and the sovereign will of God. But he puts you here to hear the gospel again and again. Don't ever get it twisted that this is just something that we can take for granted. No, remember, Christians, remember, brothers and sisters, this is a special, unique relationship that the rest of the world longs to have. Longs for it. And we have it. He's been so gracious to give it to us. We have it. It is a special relationship, and if you are not a believer, if you are here, and you're still questioning whether or not this Jesus is real, or whether it's all fairy tales, you don't believe in Jonah, or you don't believe in Noah, you don't believe in a real Adam and Eve, because after all, how could there be been all that with cavemen, and how can a, a person get put into the belly of a fish, and how can there be a flood, and all these different things? Look, I get it. There's been volumes, though, written from scientific people to debunk a bunch of stuff that you probably believe volumes written. And we can point you to some of those resources. You're not the first person to have those doubts. Just read a book. But Jesus refers to all those things. Jesus refers to to, to Adam and Eve. He refers to Jonah. They must have been real if Jesus referred to them. So we have to have this understanding that God has certainly presented for us a full counsel of Scripture to get to know him, his true heart for us, and this special relationship. If you are not a believer, or maybe you've written all these off as fairy tales, you can find eternal rest for your soul in no other place than in Jesus of Nazareth. It will truly be, it will truly be, just as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We will have no rest in this world. We will, not have, no, we will have temporary relief. We will have no true rest for our souls until we find that that rest can only be satisfied in Jesus of Nazareth. If you are a, rejiever, a believer, rejoice in deep gratitude and remember that your salvation is a means of peace between hostile people and a holy God who does not and will not tolerate sin. He is holy, he is perfect in all of his ways, and yet he knows you, he loves you, he accepts you without condition, right? And without a desire for you to clean yourself up before you come to him. God knows the worst version of you and he died for that version. He didn't die for the best version of you. Ha! That's the one you present to everyone. But the one he sees, the worst. He loves it. He loves you. First, our relationship is special if you're a Christian. If you're not, come to him. I plead with you to come to him. However you are, wherever you are, whatever your doubts are, he's got the answer. He is the wonderful counselor, remember? He is also the Prince of Peace. And so secondly, not just that we have a special relationship with him, but also that we are called to live out of this peace. 
We're called to live from a place of peace. We can do our, spend our whole life trying to establish peace of mind by establishing this and striving for that and doing this. We can live our whole life establishing peace, or we can live our whole life living from the established peace that Jesus has already provided. So which life truly will we live? Which one will we pursue? The one where we're trying to establish peace, doing everything we can to kind of muster up enough energy and strategy, and, and if you're a person that likes peace, probably distance from people? Is that the, the world we're going to live in, or are we going to live in this chaotic world where God has established peace on our behalf? It is a command. Matter of fact, again, if you turn the page, if you were in Colossians just one over, what you'll find in Colossians 3, verse 15, this is what Paul the Apostle says. And let the peace of Christ rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were, once, you were called in one body, and be thankful. You want to keep going? I do. Verse 16. The war, let the word of Christ, how will you let peace rule in your life? Verse 16, let the, 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 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then finally in 17, and whatever you do in word and deed, and do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three times in three verses, be thankful, giving thanks with thankfulness that this peace of Christ will rule in your hearts. I love what one translation says, let the peace of Christ be in control of your hearts. That Jesus truly came to give us peace. He says, peace that I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That he generously gives us this peace and the enemy will do everything he can to distract us from these truths. So when we forget the basic truths of the gospel, that we were once enemies and now reconciled to God through Jesus, we leave ourselves at the mercy of a world that is in rebellion against the author of life. And so I end with this. The Prince of Peace has come to establish shalom for you, for the whole world and may we be a people who let that peace control our hearts. That he says, let the peace of Christ rule, be in control of your hearts. Christians, this is a matter some days of decision. That the Holy Spirit is in us, that if we would just let the peace of Christ rule in us by the word, by the word dwelling in us, and again, continuing to do all things for the glory of God. These things produce peace and remind us that peace has come in the person of Jesus. May we be a people who let that peace truly control our hearts. How? By remembering the counsel that he offers is wonderful. By remembering that the God proves to be mighty and, and he offers his, his mighty power even in the midst of crazy storms of life. By remembering that he allow, whatever he allows comes from an eternal father who sees how all things affect all people from beginning to end. And by trusting that we would trust a God who indeed cares for us. And so he invites us to cast our cares, our anxieties, the things that don't bring us peace on to his son, Jesus. That God then would have the authority and the ability to establish that peace in our hearts and on earth. As we go to him, as we come to him, and as we depend on him in all of life. May that be the thing that we pursue as we continue through Advent. First, realizing we are a special, unique people. 
brought into a family with God. And that we would be a thankful people as we continue to trust him to live out of this kind of peace. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we are not outsiders. Lord, we're grateful that we've, we're not alienated, we're not hostile, we're not evil anymore. No, you've brought us in and made us good. Because you are the Prince of Peace, you became peace for those that were hostile against you. I pray we never get over that. And in your sovereign will, you chose to not only put us in a place where we could hear the gospel again and again and again and again, but for those that are far off, whether they live here or they live in Iran somewhere, for those that are far off, Holy Spirit, break into their lives like you've broken into ours. O light of the world, come down into darkness. O Prince of Peace, reign and rule in chaos. Mighty God, wherever things feel like you're weak and impotent, Lord, show your power, the love of God, breaking through crusty hearts. That's the greatest miracle that can ever happen. So whether you're in this room, you're online, you're in a different place, maybe people will never know, Lord, we're asking you to break through the darkness. We're asking you that has the ability and the authority to bring shalom to our hearts to do so today, not just circumstantially, but spiritually. Do so in the room right now. For those that don't know you, break through, Lord. For those that are online listening, break through. For the kids in our, in our household, that it just hasn't happened yet. Whether they're rebellious or they're really good, break through, Lord. We plead with you. We can't do this on our own. So we join the pilgrims of old and long for you to come. We long for you to make things right. In our homes, in our hearts, in this world. Oh, Prince of Peace, steward of shalom. Make it as you originally tended. It's the cry of our hearts this morning. We love you. We trust you to come. In Christ's name, amen.